This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. <laughs> that's how I communicate with my brother. Eddie looks so frustrated today. Uh, yeah, we are we are recording. We are recording right now. Sweet. Okay. Fuck it, we'll do it live. Eddie, are you upset today? <laughs> no, I have to. I have to leave in an hour and a half. <laughs> okay. All okay. right. Yeah, my kids. This is not going to take an hour and a half, though. You guys are fine. Well, it'll be like an hour. Yeah. Eddie, do you want me to postmate you beer to your house? <laughs> Where's my cinnamon roll? Definitely, it will definitely. Be. <laughs> I want my Tim Hortons cinnamon roll. Actually, Next time you come out here, bring me a cinnamon roll from Tim Hortons. Well, I, I would have got one. Yeah, that it will be definitely in good shape when I get there. All right, let me know. I'll count you guys in. Uh, yeah, so you're gonna say three and then hit uh, hit the intro. I prefer if you started three, two, one, and then hit okay. the intro. Eddie's Fair gonna enough. kill. Gonna <laughs> kill somebody. All right, well, I'm I'm streaming now, so you can count down whatever. All right, three. I right, want to hit the intro. Three, two. Jason, shut up. One. Get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Perry. Oh, yeah. Able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. Around in front. Score! Tamu Solani with the steal. Three of the fans score one. Score! It's the Well, we're back with uh, a morning edition of the Forever Mighty Post Game Show. Uh, tough, tough day yesterday for for a lot of us. Uh, we we if you didn't see it, we didn't do a show uh, right after the game because I missed probably about ninety percent of the game. I only really saw overtime, um, and it wouldn't have been a great show to go on there and try and talk about the game, only seeing a little bit of it. So I ended up watching the rest of it last night uh, on replay. Uh, but so we're here now, and uh, it was a pretty decent game. I, I mean, the Ducks end up coming out with a win, so now they've won three in a row. Uh, Carolina's a pretty good opponent, so not a bad outcome. Yeah, uh, I'm loving the fact that the moms are around because apparently that's just been our uh, good luck charm. I don't uh, I thought that was the, was the whole trip, though. I uh, may, but I didn't see yeah. them. They they may not have been because they didn't really ever go up to look at them. But like yeah. you only got to see overtime. I only got to see the first two periods. They never went to them. But the Ducks yeah, when I rewatched score, the, so. the second and third, they didn't show. I and they made like a yeah. big. I think they made like a big deal about it on the last game. Like it was the the last bit of the road trip. They kept saying like, yeah. "Oh, can we keep them for this entire the entire trip or whatever?" Why wouldn't they? That's weird. I think because 
Well, I guess it's not like it's that much farther if you're going from Nashville to Carolina. Carolina yeah, and then you're going up to, to Washington, Washington, and then eh, the boys are going back home. We'll go wherever we are. We're already on the East Coast. It makes yeah. sense. Wow. Man, the Ducks are just cheap. I guess. But <laughs> uh, so let's look at some of the stuff that happened before the game. Josh Maher got called up, didn't play. He was a healthy scratch. Uh, Andres Schuster was sent down to make room for that, which – I mean, if you're going to bring Josh Maher up, I would think you might as well play him. But I, they wanted to play Jakob Larson again with, with uh, Josh Manson, and they had Hampus Lindholm come back off the IR, and they wanted yeah. to play him with Brandon Montour, who seems to be his new uh, his new partner for this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because Lindholm comes off the IR, Callie Costley gets sent down, which I guess we kind of expected. He was healthy scratched for the last two games. Yeah. Um so, I mean, I guess the good news in that sense, it doesn't look like it was an injury. He just was scratched because guys were coming back into the lineup. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird they do this this whole shuffle all the time, it seems yeah. like. I, I think, like, they wanted to bring up Mahara and they probably would have played him. But I think it was, like, in the morning, that's when uh, they realized they were going to take Lindholm off the IR and then see how he did in the morning. And if he was good enough to play, they, you know, game time decision is what Randy Carlisle said. So uh ends up being that he's good to go. So I feel like uh, Mahura will probably end up coming right back down anyways if he's not going to get uh, considerable time or if they uh, don't want to uh, burn too much of uh, Larson playing. So who knows? The yeah. shuffle is just odd to me. We know if the Ducks keep winning, Randy Carlisle is going to put up the exact same lines because he's not yep. going to want to change anything at all. Um, Saving his job. Yeah, exactly. Victor Rask. Uh, funny thing, we, we I think we even mentioned this uh, when we did 31 for 31 way back in the summer, but he's, I think, only about six games back from one of the most bizarre injuries ever where he cut his hand uh, cutting sweet potatoes in his kitchen. Uh, one, I mean, we've, we've seen some bizarre injuries before, but the fact that he missed like a quarter of the season because of it was pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, one of those other crazy stories is uh, uh, Dustin Penner uh, pulling a back muscle, eating one of uh, I think his quote was one of his wife's. Jeez, uh, oh, what was it? It was like one of the, one of his perfect or one of her perfect pancakes or something like that. And that's where he got the nickname uh, Pancakes is just because he pulled a back muscle eating pancakes <laughs> and had to miss a game because of it. That was a few years back. I actually have a story. It's way less impressive than Victor Rask. Apparently, he missed twenty games because he almost you know lopped off his arm or something i actually one time drunkenly uh was really hungry and i wanted uh burgers all we had were turkey burgers and they were frozen and so the patties were stuck together and so instead of getting like a butter knife to separate them to cook them i got a really sharp knife and held the patties like this and i ended up cutting my finger i got a scar there (laughs) you can't really see it but i ended up cutting myself trying to separate two turkey burgers my wife still doesn't let me uh, forget that so that's I'm my sure. That, I'm sure there's probably more injuries that occur like that too, but they don't. They never come out. They just come out yeah, like, like that. A body injury or something, or a hand. I just injury. love how it's uh, oh, he cut sweet potatoes, not not regular potatoes. I mean, we we got to get in depth on what he was cutting here. Yeah, you got to make sure that he was being healthy, right? You got to make sure right? he was trying to stay in shape. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't French fries. It was sweet potatoes. He was being healthy about it. So Gibson's in that for the Ducks. Uh, McElhenney in that for the Hurricanes. Now, seemingly, they're starting goaltender because Mrazek hasn't been good and Scott Darling was sent on waivers. Uh, yeah, a lot absolutely. to ask. Yeah. yeah, a lot to ask for 
a guy who's significantly younger or significantly older, sorry, than John Gibson, uh, who's played less career games than John Gibson. Nah. John Gibson played his 200th career game last night. Macklin, he hasn't even hit that point in, in his entire career, and he's 35 now. Uh, I mean, he's he's been great as of late. Uh, he they said something in the broadcast, but after he went to Columbus, is really where he started, you know, picking up his career and getting a lot better as a backup. Did well there. Did well in Toronto. Doing really well in in Carolina right now. But uh... Oh, we'll continue from here. I guess some so, people. Oh, wait, here he's coming back. Yeah, there you go. You're I'm back. Have, you're back. Yeah, but all of a sudden it froze. And you got a stupid face. <laughs> you're frozen again. What's going on? Right, yeah, you're guess. back. It's it's all good. All right, okay. so let's uh <laughs> let's finish off the rest of the pregame notes here. Is uh Ben Street cleared waivers, still with the team, healthy scratch again tonight. Uh, kind of feels like they're fishing to see if somebody will take him, maybe, or they're just doing it to create roster space or just have that option to be able to send them down whenever they want to. Uh, but he sticks around. So into the uh, the first period, it started off kind of back and forth, which mm-hmm. I'm a little bit surprised with. Uh, Carolina definitely came out, I think, the hotter team. Um, but this is this is a team who puts a lot of pucks on net, and they've done it all season. And they've actually done it for, for the last couple seasons where they've just been a really good puck possession team, uh, and they usually control shot attempts. Uh, Nick Ritchie comes out flying, gets a, a, a pretty good piece of Evgeny yeah. Svechnikov, or, or of Andrei Svechnikov, sorry, and uh, gives him a, a pretty good shot from behind, just kind of showing the rookie that he's going to be there for most of the night. And, and Svechnikov's a big guy. He's 6'3". Uh, he's, he didn't he's look like it on that down. shove, man. He went, no. he went down pretty easy. And he's kind of laid there, threw his legs up. He's like, oh, I got pushed. Penalty? Nothing? All right. Yeah, I'll get back up. <laughs> like he's one of those ball. guys. I think even especially right now because this is his first year in the league. But he doesn't necessarily look sixty, like you said, or really yeah. utilize that that frame that he has. He's also not a big guy yet. He's he's still kind of lanky, but he's only eighteen, so that's going to change. But Nick Ritchie kind of kind of bullied him a little bit early on. Um, but yeah, I mean, not a lot of pressure from either team for the first five minutes. Uh, Dodson takes a penalty for slashing. Uh, Sherwood again on a line with with Kess and Cogs again. Some solid chances from that line, uh, and and the, for the first half of the PK. So you know that line again. They've been put together a lot lately. I thought they looked better in this game. Uh, they were getting a little bit of PK time here and there, uh, but uh, it was it was a, a definitely a better effort from those guys, and it had to be because going up against that top unit in Carolina is pretty difficult. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I liked uh, I like Sherwood on that line, um, even though Silverberg traditionally has that role there. Uh, I think a little bit of speed, uh, even though Cogs is on there. I don't know. I, I feel like the the speed is good, and then having Kessler in there, you know, trying to do Kessler things to some degree of success. Uh, is good. Uh, it's put Silverberg somewhere else right now. He, you know, he, he hasn't really been performing like he had been uh, prior to his injury earlier in the season. So needs something to spark him. It's not going to be sparked on that line. So might as well give uh, the uh, young guy a little bit of um, uh, Sherwood, a little bit of a, a look on a higher up line. So he's not playing just fourth line minutes necessarily. So, and uh, you want, you know, as, as, as crappy as it is to go on the penalty kill like the Ducks have, it's also great when you have uh, the goalie from last year who had the highest penalty killing uh, save percentage. He's in the 90s. That's that's unreal. Yeah. I, I think it's also underrated. If you get a goalie uh, who's that good when they should be scored on, that, that tells me a, a load of stuff. As a goalie, like, I mean, I, I'm anticipating probably a goal going in one out of every four times. Uh, in my league, let alone the, the upper echelon leagues of the NHL. So the, the fact that you have to change your game uh, to anticipate more great chances against you and still come out on top most of the time, over 9%, uh, you know, 9 out of 10 times, that's that's a, a really good thing to have in a goalie. That's my hot take right there. <laughs> yeah, I hard take. It's been it's one of the real reason why the Ducks penalty kill over the last few years, even this year, has been somewhat decent this year and been one of the top in the in the league over the last five years. Um, speaking of John Gibson, you you, uh, you pointed out his mask yesterday, his Jurassic Park it. mask, which is which is pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, a little bit yeah. of a close up from it. So if if you guys didn't see it, it, it's a pretty awesome mask. He's had some great masks all year though. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know if it was uh, the the guy we uh, interviewed, the uh, cu- custom custom oh, paints epic shell shock shell shock. There yeah. we go. Yeah, I don't know if that was that was his, but uh, the original mask he had on, uh, he took a shot in the, the first period that kind of hit off one of the clips or something or busted it. So he went and got a new one, and then so they were zooming in on it. It's a Jurassic duck on the side, and I was like, ah. I'm a goalie. I love dinosaurs. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> so took a fun picture of that one. So yeah, check it out on uh, Twitter and Facebook. I put it there. Well, thanks to that power play for Carolina. That's again, that's where they we'll get to it later on, but that's where they generated most of their chances throughout this entire game. Uh, shots were eight to one at that point. Uh, it, I mean, if you just came in at that point and looked at the shots, uh, it didn't look like a, a really good game for the ducks. But again, it, a lot of the chances were generated on the power play uh, Kasha seemed to be playing pretty good uh, in, in that first period. He was all over the place, still playing with Henrik and Richie, which was a little bit of a surprise for me that they didn't want to pop him back up with Getzlaff and Raquel. Uh, Getzlaff uh, obliterates McGinn uh, with a hit, trying to change some momentum because uh, things weren't necessarily going the Ducks' way. Shots were 9-2 to Carolina at that point. Uh, Ducks just needed more of something to happen. There really hadn't been a big hit since the opening minute where Nick Ritchie leveled Svechnikov, and that was pretty much it. Uh, a couple back and forth there, nothing really going on. Uh, Jake Bean gets his first penalty, and the Ducks go to the power play, nail the shots a little bit, 12-5. to five. I got to talk about that penalty because that was such a weak call. Like, literally, uh, I think it was Kasha, or no, 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 it was one of the fourth-line guys is coming in, and he literally just gave him a tap 
on the shin guards as he went to dump the puck in. And for that to be your first penalty of your career and get called for slashing on it, it was probably the worst penalty I've ever seen called. If that happened to the Ducks, I'd be like, you got to be kidding me. So yeah, good, good on your first penalty for not getting anything close to a penalty. <laughs> yeah. And, and the Ducks don't even utilize it uh, as an effective power play because uh, there was three shorthanded shots and zero power play shots for the Ducks. Uh, best chance of the game went to, Carolina on that power play for the Ducks where they got a semi-break that uh, Gibby had to, to stop and maybe it was a, it was harder than it looked for goalies what you put here so maybe you explain what you meant by that so so not only did uh, he come uh, what I meant by that was that uh, it was almost a breakaway and then there was a little bit of a back check at the last moment that kind of uh, hit the player and the player kind of flung it at the net for a goalie, you're expecting a, a quick, precise play, and for something to go really half speed for you can completely throw you off, your timing completely. So it's much more difficult. Uh, honestly, if he had just come in and made his move, that's a lot easier for a goalie to anticipate, move with him, and time it right. When something kind of screws it up, all of a sudden you got to start to take into account, all right, is that puck going to flip up? Is it coming this way? Is it going in a weird direction? How fast is it going? Now I've got to change everything I'm about to do at the last minute because of that little thing. But he hung with it. He stayed in there and ultimately stayed in a good enough position that the rebound came right at him and his blocker was just just chilling up high. <laughs> and yeah. that rebound shot went right off and he didn't even move it. He was just like there. And he's like, uh, all right, yeah, I'll take it. So, uh, you know, not only the, the first stop where you have to you know, reevaluate how that play is going to develop, but also be in position and, and lucky enough in a position to take away that uh, goal because that, that, that could have been a killer right there, especially shorthanded. Yeah, it wasn't a great power play from the Ducks, uh, but they take another penalty. Gibbons goes off for a high stick, and then about, I think, 20, 30 seconds later, Carolina takes a slashing call, uh, and it goes to four on four. Um, this leads right up until Svechnikov's goal, but Dougie Hamilton gets a breakaway which John Gibson has to make a save. And then the Canes, come, the Canes come back the other way. And uh, Ajo uh, feeds, I believe it's Teravainen. I'd have to double-check that. But either way, he drops it for Andrei Svechnikov, who makes kind of an underrated play here. He does what Ovechkin has done for so long, where he uses the defenseman as a screen. He kind of skates a little bit back towards the blue line to put himself between Lindholm and John Gibson and fires it right between Lindholm's legs and, and through Gibson. And, and I mean, it's an underrated play for Svechnikov because not only does he use Lindholm as a screen, he uses about two or three other guys. Yeah, guys he yeah. uses another Ducks player and his own player. Uh, so what looks like kind of a soft goal for John Gibson is really one that he just couldn't see. I mean, he wasn't expecting it, and, and Svechnikov has such a hard release that it, all it had to do was just find a spot at that point. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you have two ways to score that as a, a shooter. Uh, one is that it touches nobody, and the goalie never sees it. It just goes in beautifully. Uh, the other one is if you shoot it hard enough and you get a little bit of deflection, if the goalie can see it, a deflection will will possibly put it in a spot that the goalie wasn't expecting. So you, you kind of have two good things when you have screens in front and a hard shot. Uh, yeah, so it may look bad to the untrained eye of uh, people watching because it didn't look like Gibby even moved for it. But when you can't see it, you, you're not going to start randomly moving where it could possibly go because it could go anywhere at that point. So 
it, it was a good shot. It was a great screen uh, in front by, you know, everybody in Lindholm in, included. Uh, and feel bad. Feel bad because Gibby had been playing so well. And I think that was a, their 19th shot on goal in the first period. <laughs> so, I mean, at yeah. that point, uh, e- even if, you know, it, Goalies are going to get tired at some point facing too many shots and too many chances. And so there's there's just, you know, the 19th shot, the fact they only gave up one goal, uh, tip your cap to them, especially on that one where you're not, if you don't see it, you're not going to stop it. I mean, you just hope it hits you. Yeah. And, and after that, I mean, the first period, the fact that the Ducks were only down one nothing was uh, pretty lucky, to be honest. The, the shots were 20 to 5. The chances were a lot slimmer than that, especially 5 on 5. Uh, like Brady said, a lot of what Carolina generated in that first period throughout the game came on the power play. Uh, I think they had six power play chances by the time the game was over. So not a horrible game at five on five when you have to consider that Carolina is a team that generally all season has dominated at five on five against pretty much every team. They're up there with the Sharks and, and being two of the best teams in the league at this point. So I would take that uh, any day of the week, especially, again, mm-hmm. when you look at the, the, the difference in shot margin. Uh, we head into the second period where the Ducks actually started to turn things around. Um, I mean, the, the Montour does take an early penalty for puck over glass. Uh, and I, I wouldn't, yeah, and I wouldn't even really blame him on that one. That was kind of like yeah. he's given a pass into his feet, and at the same time, he's being pressured. So I, I think the pass wasn't very good, and uh, yeah. fortunately, he just flips it over. So I don't want to put too much on beautiful Montour. Yeah, and, and it doesn't end up hurting the Ducks. I mean, just the puck movement on the Canes power play is, is unreal to watch that and, and just see the difference that you yeah. see between the Ducks. The, the Not just the quickness of the passes, but the decisiveness when you get the cross-crease passes and, and, and the passes that put guys in dangerous positions. And I think the only fault of the Canes power play was they weren't shooting the puck sometimes in those dangerous positions. They were kind of looking for that perfect pass with the, the basically it's to an empty net. So... That was maybe the the only thing that uh, they had to do on their power play. Luckily, the Ducks, it didn't happen. Uh, mm-hmm. Gibson does make a pretty good save on Falk uh, at the end of the power play. This was after Cogliano got a penalty for high sticking, so the penalties just kept <laughs> continuing to yeah. rack up for the Ducks this game. Of course, the broadcast mentioned how the penalty disparity. They brought it up, uh, how yeah. the Ducks are like negative 190-something over the last oh, five or six seasons. Good. Yeah. And Carolina's on the complete opposite end, where they're like plus 215 over the yeah. last five years. So the, they're on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, where they don't take a lot of penalties. But you knew, <laughs> you knew the ref discussion was going to come up. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna frame it that way uh, for a while until things change. But that that's the difference in styles between what Carolina has been doing. Uh, versus what the Ducks have been doing. And it's, you know, the big bad Ducks, and they're going to be that way for a while. So it's, uh, it, if you're looking for it to change, it's not going to. I just want consistency. And, um, you know, if the Ducks take penalties, they take penalties. And, you know, if they're legit, that's what I care about. Are they good penalties or are they not? You know, it's it's just, I don't I don't like the, the phantom penalties. So that's the only time yeah. I get pissed. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, the Ducks just started building some pressure for him. Kessler gets a chance all alone in front which is tough for him because he's, I guess, been kind of snake-bitten, but just also on, on a, a drought. Uh, he's only got, I believe, one goal so far this season. Uh, so that would have been nice to have him cash on that one. Unfortunately, he doesn't. Now Kessler? they have Pontus. Yeah, Kessler. Yeah. I thought he's got Well, like sorry, one goal four. in his last 20 games. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's been a while, but yeah. It's been a while, <laughs> okay. yeah. Um, so Auberg was actually now out with Getzlaff and Raquel. So Randy Carlisle switching a couple things up, trying to get some things going. 
Um, and that line was actually generating some good pressure. Then Kessler's line comes back out again. Cogliano walks out from the boards, gets a good chance on McElhenney. They were they were starting to get good positions, but they were still throwing it right into the chest protector on McElhenney. Yeah, I felt like they at that point were halfway through the game. They hadn't hit double digits in shots yet, and they're looking at the other team throwing up 20-plus shots already or 20 in the first period. So I think they kind of maybe wanted to just see if maybe a quick shot might fool a goalie who hasn't seen a whole lot of pucks and see if that can kind of go in. Uh, you know, uh, but McElhaney, is, he's on his game, has been for, you know, the last couple of seasons now. So, uh yeah, I'll give him credit for trying. Throw it out there, see what happens. All all that needs to happen is one goes in, then maybe you start getting a shaky goalie who's thinking he's having an off game. Yeah, but I mean, for for a guy like that, that that's his bread and butter. That's the types of <laughs> yeah. saves that that really he makes on a regular basis. He, he tries to get his body behind pretty much everything. Um, yeah. so when you're shooting it right in there, he he loves it, and, and he's in the zone. He's building confidence off that. Uh, but the, the Ducks were starting to dominate. Uh, I, there wasn't a lot of chances that Carolina were getting like, high danger chances in this period. Uh, the Ducks turned the ties and the shot attempts. They were actually leading at the end of the second period. Uh, the only other play that Carolina really had that she looked at to say they could have scored on was Gibson had to make a big save on Trevor Van Riemsdyk. Um, it didn't end up looking like a massive save because he was in a good spot positionally, and it looked like a, a pretty good glove save because of how well he tracked the puck. But, it's again, it's one of those underrated saves that John Gibson makes where he, he's just tracking the puck so well that he can put himself in, in such a good position to make the save look easy. Yeah, and there was a lot of stuff happening in front, which is you know an easy way to kind of lose the puck if a lot of stuff's happening right in front of you. But if you're dialed in, you're zoned in on that puck, you somehow it, it's really weird for goalies where if you're so dialed in, it doesn't really even matter what's happening in front. You're just so dialed in on where that puck is going and who it's going to, and you're just mm-hmm. spatially aware of where people are that you can almost see that play happening and you're already ahead of it. Uh, and when he's and he does that a lot, and he's really, really focused on the puck. And that one play, yeah, he was just it was over. I know uh, Ram Reemsdyke probably would have tried to like to go a little bit higher on that shot because it wasn't you know the top shelf, which he had room and time to try and do. But yeah. uh, Gibby's not giving him a whole lot to look at anyway, so he, he would have had to have put it in a perfect shot. And even then, I don't know, Gibby was out challenging pretty hard too. So I, I'm not sure even if he had put it where he wanted to. Gibby would have given him much room to to actually make a goal. Yeah, I don't think so. But you know, the, the Ducks really piled on the pressure to end that period. Uh, they outshot Carolina nine to six. So shots in total were twenty six to fourteen. Uh, Kane still had the one nothing lead, but in this period, five on five, uh, I think this was one of the Ducks' better periods where they hadn't scored a goal. Because again, like I said, Carolina is one of the best teams. Five on five when you're looking at possession teams in the league, but the Ducks controlled over 70% of shot attempts. They had 10 scoring chances to Carolina's three, and they had seven high danger chances to Carolina's two. So they were really controlling play. Again, they couldn't put the high danger chances in the back of the net, which is something the Ducks have struggled with all year. Uh, but just being able to do that against a team who not only had three days of rest. But the Ducks are also on the on the end of uh, three games and four nights as well. Yeah. So that's pretty impressive when you look at how tired they looked on the back to back, and they, you know they got that day rest, they used it well, and they looked uh, energized and ready to go. 
Yeah, the second period is notoriously bad for the Ducks, too. So the fact that they came out were not only able to keep up given their ske- their recent schedule, but uh, their their you know, longstanding second period problems. Uh, it's uh, it's good. Good to see a good omen for the third period, I guess. Yeah. And, and again, the, the third period was probably the most boring period of the uh, of the whole <laughs> The whole game because not really much happened. Gibson had to stop Martin Nuke on a half breakaway. But if I think if you're going to pick anybody on the Canes to have a, a breakaway, it'd probably be Jordan Martin Nuke because he's not a guy who's normally going to put the puck in the back, uh, back and down on a regular basis. Gibson he's still been, has he's been to. good this season. The only reason I know that is he's on one of our fantasy teams. So on one of my fantasy yeah. teams, he's, he's actually tearing it up. Like, oh, neat. I didn't know this guy even existed. So, all right. Yeah, I think he had a hat trick uh, probably a couple Early weeks ago. But, uh, I mean... Oh, yeah, he did, yeah. Yeah, but if you're going to pick between him or Aho or Terrible, uh, I think... I also gonna, have Aho. You're going to have him. But uh, <laughs> fourth line was generating some good chances, getting a couple uh, getting a couple good chances, getting some good zone time, which is what we've seen for them lately. When Car- Since Carter Roundy's come back on that fourth line, they've looked a, a lot better. Yeah, they look way more. Yeah, they look really dangerous. I mean, even when uh, Sherwood was out there, I was always impressed. They always just seem to have energy. They seem to be dumping it in and and being one of the best forechecking lines and definitely one of the the quickest lines. Like Kasha is the quickest guy we've got, the fastest guy. But I mean, as yeah. a whole line, they just seem like they're they're on top of it. They're they're moving. They'll make mistakes here or there, but. They, you know, I guess that comes with, you know, only playing like eight minutes a game. So you got a little bit of yeah, energy, right. I guess. But, yeah, uh, yeah I've, I've really enjoyed Rowney coming uh, back uh, and, uh, you know, be, being on that fourth line. It's it's so good to be able to throw that out there and, and it not be like the fourth line of old where it used to be. Those guys had to come in, hit some bodies, try and turn momentum around that way. At least the fourth line now has speed. They can create excitement and chances just through their speed. Uh, not necessarily the finishing skill, but uh, that's why they're on the fourth line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As long as they're creating chances, I think that's what they're there for. That That's kind of the model of the modern-day fourth line. Um, but this leads to arguably the best save of the game from anybody. Uh, in this case, it was John Gibson. DJ Giuseppe breaks away alone. A third straight game where a guy breaks up through the middle on the Ducks. But he breaks up through the middle, goes uh, to the backhand. On, and what, well, I thought it was a great move because John Gibson bites mm-hmm. on it. Uh, but it's yeah. one of those situations where you kind of just have the glove up there and you hope that it, uh, right. it flies right <laughs> into the glove. It's, it, again, it's a great save from him. But you've kind of he's just got the glove up there hoping it goes into it. D. Giuseppe throws it right into the glove. But it, it does yeah. look like a pretty nice save from John Gibson. Yeah, those are, those are the, the ones that goalies go, all right, thank you, I can go home now. Uh, it's yeah. just, you made my night. Thank you. I, you know, <laughs> it made me look really good, even though I really didn't have much of a chance on it. And I, I you know, I've done that a few times too. And you, you just kind of, you laugh cause you're like, Oh God, I'm going to look horrible. Oh, it's in my glove. All right, sweet. <laughs> this yeah. is all good. So, uh, yeah, right, right place. And once again, sometimes you just be big, take up as much as you can in the net. Even if you get beat, don't give up on a play. That's, that's a, a great way to just do it. Just hang it out there. Who knows? A lot of times they're, they're looking at what's going to stop them and you ultimately end up shooting it into that spot. Yeah. Uh, Aberg takes a penalty for tripping right after that. The Ducks kill off the penalty. The Carolina didn't really have much going on at that point. That was probably the Ducks, one of the Ducks better penalty kills of the game. Uh, but this is where Slavin 
takes a penalty for interference. Ducks go back to the power play. And this was probably one of their better power plays because somebody told Getzloff that he was going to be the shooter on this power play for once. <laughs> he gets a couple blasts off. One of them hits off the crossbar uh, inches from going. And it, it beat McElhinney easily. And it was probably a, a couple inches from being off the inside part of the post and in the back of the net. Really close there, but I don't know why they don't get Getzloff to shoot more. We're always asking for a trigger guy in the power play, and he's got one of the best one-timers on the team. He's got a bomb of a shot, and um, you know, just looking at those shots, they're heavy uh, in addition to that. And even if he doesn't just bomb the shot, he's really good about doing that move where he kind of has it out and pulls it into his feet. When you do that, uh, from a goalie's perspective, it, it does – it, it changes the angle, but the goalie's not going to move with that. He's going to probably yeah. stay locked in that position, but now you can easily take that in and you can do it short side. You can do it high, far side. It, it, you, you gain more options than just leaving it out there. So um, I don't think it's anyone uh, saying, hey, you know, uh, gets off, don't shoot. I need you to pass more. I, I don't think anyone's been telling him that. He's been told his whole career, hey, yeah, you got a yeah. bomb of a shot, shoot. But he's just of that mindset, kind of like Joe Thornton, where it's like, yeah, I know I got a good shot, but man, I could set up a really nice, you know, slam dunk play. And uh, he almost finds more gratification of making a, a beautiful pass than it would be a beautiful shot. He's, he's more of that type of player. So I don't think you'll ever get him out of that mindset, unfortunately. <laughs> no, it's tough, especially when we don't really have a guy like that on the power play. And that's almost what you need. To have a successful power play when you look at, obviously, Ovechkin and, and Stamkos when he was doing that in Tampa Bay. Now Vancouver's got Elias Pettersson who does that. And you know, every team who, who seems to have some success on the power play has that one guy who is set up for the one-timer. And the Ducks just, I don't think they've really ever had that. So it's, it sucks it's not Getzlaff because he would probably be the best one to put there. But this does lead into the Ducks' only goal in regulation by Pontus Auberg, which I guess we kind of originally thought it was going to be uh, Adam Henrique who scored yeah. the goal. Uh, but it ends up being Ponce Abra who puts it in. It goes to review. Uh, Henrique bounces it up off a of Carolina Hurricanes defenseman, and it pops up above the crossbar, initially drops right below. Both of them wait to the perfect time to <laughs> swing at it because both yeah. their, their sticks were under the crossbar. Uh, the review didn't take long, and Pontus Auberg has his seventh of the season that ties the game with less than four minutes to go. Is he he's leading the, the Ducks in goals? I mean, I know Nick Ritchie is really close behind him. Scored, yeah. <laughs> if either of them scored, they would have been leading uh, with seven. So now he's yeah. Seven, yeah. <laughs> Come on, Enrique. What's wrong with you? Get to that puck quicker. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, who, who would have thought? And uh, one of those games where it's just you – know, you're not you're not doing a whole lot. The game doesn't quite look like it's going your way, and then you just get one of them those fluky goals that ends up uh, kind of being the, the difference maker, at least getting you at least a point out of it, if not more, hopefully. So you know, keep plugging away. That's kind of been their motto. It's like even if we 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 suck this period, the shift, it just just stick to the game plan, see see what ends up happening. We'll just you know we're not going to panic about it. So. They, you know, they, they stick to it and they get rewarded right at the end. Yeah, I mean, this this team hasn't scored a lot of goals at all this year. So any goal that goes in the back of that, no matter how ugly it is, if it's a goal that bounces up off a defenseman, you, you bat it out of midair, that's whatever. The Ducks will take it at this point, especially in a close game. And it ends up taking them to overtime where they decide to, and I think this is because of the pressure. 
that uh, Carolina put on in three on three. I haven't seen it from any team. Uh, the Ducks held the puck for the first minute of overtime in their own end, pretty much. They kept trying to get out. They couldn't really get any outlet or anything like that. They circled back. They made a change. Getzlaff comes out. Uh, the pressure that Carolina puts in, in OT is, is an interesting strategy because it can work to some mm-hmm. extent if they end up getting the puck and they came close a couple times. But then in, in this instance, it doesn't work because that pressure doesn't pay <laughs> off where Hampus Lindholm uh, throws yeah. a strike up the middle to Ryan Getzlaff, who's wide wide open because the Hurricanes went for a bad change. He snuck in behind them, uh, makes yeah. a great move from backhand to forehand and puts it over uh, the glove hand of, of Curtis McElhinney. It's so beautiful. I love it when he gets chances like that. Uh, he, yeah. he, it's uh, it's the opposite feeling I have. You know, like if Cogliano's going, I have one set of feelings on that breakaway. When Getzloff gets a breakaway, it's the exact opposite of <laughs> the feeling. Uh, you almost feel like something good should happen. He'll make something good happen. One of those rare players that, you know, it's kind of cliche where he's got the size and uh, the hands to go along with it. And he's not all that slow. He, he kind of looks slow, but he's not really yeah. all that slow of a player anyways. Gets himself in a good position. A little fortunate there that, uh, like you said, the uh, Hurricanes kind of maybe did a little bit of a bad line change that kind of came back to bite him. But, uh, you know, for three-on-three three, uh, and to get a, a breakaway chance like that is uh, you got to bury it. He did it. And so we win. <laughs> we somehow win again. Yeah. How about uh, Hampus Lindholm in his first game back to uh, making a pass like that because I mean we look back in the the Edmonton game where it was Brandon Montour with the exact same yeah, play same, right, from his own zone Raquel. with a with the pass to Raquel and now you get Hampus Lindholm with a similar pass on the other side of the ice to Ryan Getzlaff. Uh, I don't know if this is a new strategy from the Ducks, uh, yeah. just waiting for them to change and just sitting in your own end and, and going for the home run pass, but it's worked twice so far. Yeah, and oddly enough, both of those games were 2-1 overtime wins. <laughs> and uh, uh, the Ducks didn't look good in, in either one of those until the end. They scored a late third-period goal and won in an overtime. Randy Carlisle's happy because he said the Ducks need to win more 2-1 games, and now they've I won was gonna two, bring that up too, yeah. 2 to 2-1 yeah. games. So yeah, he's probably... 3-2 yeah, uh, game. <laughs> yeah, he's he's definitely gassed up a bit, and, and his ego's getting a nice boost for that. So he's... <laughs> He th- at least he thinks he's looking pretty good for that because uh, obviously the Ducks do end up getting the 2-1 win in overtime against uh, Carolina. The Ducks have now won three straight and five of the last six. Yeah, you think – I wonder if he's happy in the way that when we do the uh, Forever Mighty three stars before every game, like someone gets all three right and goes, yeah, I knew it was yeah. going to happen. Yeah, I called it. Yeah, I knew. I knew I knew exactly what they needed to do and who was going to do what, and that's how it worked out. It's like, ew, you, you're lucky. That's pretty all it much does, it. <laughs> all it does is keep his job from a little bit longer because now he's, you know, he's just saying things, and if they work out, then he looks yeah. really good because he, he's he wasn't, not he saying, saying anything. Yeah, he wasn't saying much early on, and things weren't yeah. going. Now it's like, um, we need to win games two to one, and then they start winning two to one. Like, See, told you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, keep the seat nice and warm here. <laughs> He's not saying anything that can get him in trouble because if they yeah. don't win games two to one or if they win games in a different fashion, it's like, whatever, we're scoring more goals now. So he's just yeah. saying something that if it does work out, it looks pretty good for him. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, now he has to be easily safe. It, it, you know, it might not be his fault that the Ducks have won five of their last six and, and won three in a row. Um, 
again, you know, if we're, if we're if we're being so harsh on him this year, which you know for good reason, but I think with the Ducks' recent success, you have to give him credit along with the players. You can't just say it's his fault for everything and then not give them some him some praise in in getting the Ducks to five wins out of the last six and three in a row. So obviously something whatever it is has changed and, and the Ducks <laughs> have been able to, on it. yeah the Ducks have been able to strain together uh a lot of close wins against some pretty whole tending you know, whole tending yes for sure the, the <laughs> last uh the last especially the last two games before this in in Florida and Tampa uh Ryan Miller and John Gibson in those back-to-back games were outstanding John Gibson was good in this game too uh 33 stops for sure, uh, and I and I think most of his work again came on the power play. Carolina had like third, fifteen of those shots on the power play, so uh, yeah, so they did they did a lot of their work there. And and again, that's what you said. Where John Gibson, uh, his PK save percentage comes in huge when you're going in these games where you know you're you're going up against a good team who's pretty good and has been pretty good as of late on their power play. And you've got a guy who's shutting them out and and uh, is is kind of a, a career guy at doing that as well. Yeah, and I've had a few people kind of come up to me going, hey, duck, Ducks are winning. Ducks are doing good. They're doing great, right? Like expecting me to go, yeah, we're winning. We're, we're finally doing it. And I'm sitting there. I'm going like, we're winning. But, uh, you know, you, you know, you want to give credit to Randy Carlisle. But, I mean, the beginning of the season, I think we started 5-1. and one, But the whole time I'm looking and going, we're five and one because of our goalies. It's not the way we're playing. The, the play yeah. isn't that great. Now our play has gotten better, and especially lately after Nashville, our play has been, been much better these last three games. Uh, but it's still nowhere near where it needs to be for the rest of the season. Come playoff time, anything like that. So it's still underlying issues. Goaltending is masking a lot of those issues. One or two of those goals easily could have gone in. We never get to overtime, and we're right back going like, man. You know, is Carlisle in trouble? Is Carlisle going to get, you know, uh, fired? This, that, and the other. And it's just his goaltending is the other thing that's really kind of bailing him out. The fact that we're only scoring two or three goals a game, uh, you, know, you know, good for three. But at the same time, it's just there needs to be more. We're one of the lowest scoring teams and one of the highest uh, giving up shots. I mean, that, that's a recipe for disaster. And it's got to change. And until that starts changing, I'm still not a, a huge fan of Carlisle's coaching strategy at this point. Oh yeah, I, and don't get me wrong, I'm I'm still not. No, a fan you said of Randy you love Carlisle. Carlisle. I think I heard you yeah. say that. You said you love. <laughs> I'm still I'm still not a fan of, of Randy Carlisle by any means, but um, you know, he, we've given him a lot of criticism, and pretty much everybody has, rightfully so, all year. But when the Ducks are playing well, um, there's different levels of of reasoning uh, and you know putting success on some guys, and like you said, goaltending uh, definitely gets a lot of the attribute for success over the last five wins that the Ducks have had. Uh, But, you know, some credit can go to the the other players as well, of course. And then I think marginal credit at least has to go to the coaching staff for at least changing something around to to get them to that point. And and I don't think it's a lot, and I'm not saying Ray Carlos out of the woods by (laughs) any means, but it's not only one or two things that are are getting it done. And um, I still think it be gone, but you know, that that's just the way it is right now. He's not, so. Yeah, he made a great decision to play Lindholm today. Good job, Randy. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> it, it, yeah, Hampus Lindholm had a great game, too. So yeah. um, let's move on to some of the stuff we have in postgame. Um, one thing that we have here is uh, talking about Andrei Svechnikov and how 
earlier in the draft, before him and Rasmus Dallin got drafted, uh, there was some discussion, and we had Dave Cornianos on before that draft, who talked about how he thought Andrei Svechnikov should go number one and Rasmus Dallin should go number two. Obviously, that didn't happen. Buffalo is pretty happy, I think, getting yeah. uh, Rasmus Dallin. Carolina was just happy to be at that spot and get Andrei yeah, Svechnikov. Yeah. But he's he's kind of been forgotten almost and he's been yeah. cast in, in the shadow of Rasmus Dallin who started to play very well with a, a Buffalo team who had won 10 games in a row yeah. uh is struggling he, he's been up and down the lineup they haven't really put him on the first line he's been playing I think lately with Martinuk and Lucas Walmart which is not uh, a line you would have expected this to be on uh, a difficult spot for him to be in especially for for a young kid yeah, it's tough, and especially since number one was so uh, highly publicized and uh, has made such an impact on that Buffalo team. Uh, you know, but I mean, he, he was fifth in uh, for rookies and goals scored, uh, you know, and yeah, for an 18 year old, and there's rookies who are 19, 20, that had a little bit more seasoning in the, the minors. So for him to kind of come in just into the NHL, play on a Carolina team that's, that's you know, it, you know, been impressive uh, to say the least uh, kind of coming in. Cause I, I didn't really have huge amount of faith in them. Uh, I thought they, they could surprise teams a little bit, but they, they've been doing really well. And uh, to have him kind of come in and uh, be, you know, just another cog in the wheel that's kind of helped out to, to get some goal scoring other than Aho or Teravainen or anybody like that uh, or Mar Martin took, <laughs> can't pronounce his yeah. name <laughs> uh so i mean it, it, it's good it's what you maybe want from an 18 year old but uh that's it's he's been a little overshadowed because you know once once i saw his name they go oh he went second over almost he did huh all right yeah <laughs> yeah i i think because you know you you look at what he did in the ohl but obviously then he got injured and he had world juniors as well um he was in some historic territory in, in the, the amount of goals he was put in the back. And then he was almost at a goal per game. I think he had 40 goals in 44 games with Barry in the OHL. Uh, just ridiculous numbers. Not many guys can do that, especially at that age. And, and that's his, his first uh, experience with that league as well. So I think that's where a lot of the hype came from. But I think eventually he'll get there. But, you know, a guy who's 6'3", coming in close to 200 pounds, you're expecting this guy to just easily step right in shoot, <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, go right onto that top line in, in Carolina because they didn't necessarily have a top right winger, you know, play with Ajo and Teravainen and then put 30 goals in the back. And that, that's that's the, what I thought he was going to do. And he could still do that. He's at mm -hmm. six now. Uh, if he eventually gets up to that first line, he is playing some power play. His minutes are starting to increase. Uh, maybe he'll get that confidence and, and go on a roll. I mean, you look at... Patrick Laine put 18 goals in the month of November. <laughs> I mean, it, it can happen. You can go on a streak. And, and Patrick Laine is an, an, an amazing player and probably one of, if not the best goal scorer in the National Hockey League. So that's that's a lofty comparison. But I can see Setchikov putting 10 goals in in a month and getting back on track. So it, it'll be interesting. But, yeah, you, you're comparing it to Rasmus Dallin, who's having a good year, and Brady Kachuk, who was drafted two picks after him, who's having an excellent start in Ottawa and is over a point per game right now. And even Jesper Kotkaniemi, who was drafted one pick after him, who's playing in Montreal, Montreal right now and, and having some similar struggles. But, it, you know, a lot of comparisons going out. Then a lot of guys like Elias Pettersson, who they're comparing him with. But again, Pettersson yeah. is also a year older than this guy as well. Uh, kind of expected that he was going to come over and have such a, a good start as well. 
So it's tough comparing him to all those guys. I think for what he's doing, he's still doing pretty well. Uh, tough a lot of these times, and especially for the Euros coming over, even though Svechnikov has played in, in North America for the last two or three seasons, it's always a, a, a tough transition for some of these guys as well. Uh, not a lot of Russians in in the Carolina <laughs> locker room either, which, yeah. which can always make things difficult. And yeah, you know, it sounds like we're, we're chalking up a lot of excuses, but uh, things don't always go uh, a best case scenario for for a lot of these rookies coming into the league. Sometimes uh, it, it takes a little bit of time for them to get going, but uh, I think this guy is going to be a consistent 20, 30 goal scorer uh, once he finally gets ready and established in this league. He's got plenty of time and a long career ahead of him. Exactly. Yeah. So let's move on uh, to our second topic we have, and it is uh, kind of a revisit of a trade that happened earlier this year between the Calgary Flames and the Carolina Hurricanes, where the Hurricanes received Michael Ferlin and Dougie Hamilton, uh, Adam Fox as well, but uh, he's not playing with them this year. He's playing the NCAA. And uh, Calgary received Noah Hannafin and Elias Lindholm. And uh, you know what? At first, looked like Carolina probably got the best player in the deal. Maybe that's still true in, in Dougie Hamilton. Uh, this is a trade where you don't say it often when you have some big names like that. It, it really worked out for both teams. Yeah, I mean, uh, Elias Lindholm's been, you know, uh, they, they said a, a revelation there in uh, Calgary. So, I mean, yeah. they got what they, they wanted, which is someone that can, uh, you know, put in goals. Uh, and I, I, I would say, I don't say underutilized in Carolina, but just it, the change of scenery seemed to really kind of spark him. I was always kind of waiting for him to to show that because I every yeah. now and again I'd watch him play and I go like, oh, yeah, he's got some skill. There's something in there waiting waiting for it to kind of show itself. Uh, you go to a, a, a more offensive uh, team like Calgary, quick strike team like Calgary, and uh, he's kind of been uh, a real big help on that uh, you know that squad. But at the same time. Uh, Carolina is really happy with what they got with a man whose name is Dougie. Uh, it still blows me away. Someone would call himself <laughs> Dougie instead of Doug, but uh, you know, but he's, he looked good. He had his chances. Uh, you know, it's one of those guys who uh, he's always, at least the last couple of seasons been up there among defensemen shots on goal kind of plays right into what Carolina is doing as far as just yeah. unloading shots on teams. He fits right into that mold. And so it's kind of just, a nice little change where both of them kind of have fit very nicely as a puzzle piece into the bigger picture of both teams. So you, you can't, uh, can't say there's a, a loser in that trade. They, they both kind of got what they were looking for. Yeah. Cause you look at, like you said, how Elias Lind almost turned out and uh, Carolina was waiting for that forever. Uh, and it's one of those situations where a change of scenery actually helps a guy or also playing now with Monaghan and Goodrow does help Shocker. the guy as well yeah. but uh, Elias Lindholm is a really skilled player he he always has been and and you know that that's helped him out a lot and he, he's done really really well in Calgary and I think that just that system and the way they play there fits him a lot better than what they're trying to do with him in Carolina uh, Noah Hannafin has, has been decent he just picked up his first two goals for the Flames a, a couple days ago uh, so he's starting to kind of gel in there and get used to it and, and it's a tough position for him to be in because uh, he's playing behind Giordano uh, and, and, you know, he just he's still a young kid and he got traded from a team that put a lot of faith in him. And that, that could uh, that could sometimes hurt the ego a bit. But I think he's starting to get a little bit more confident there and things are going for him. And then, you know, you look at Dougie, he's not having the 
offensive type of season that he had last year, but he's still putting shots on net. They said uh, in the broadcast yesterday, he's second in the league in defensemen for shots. So eventually some of those are going to start going in the back of the net uh, and he's going to get back to close to where he was last year, where he was leading the NHL in goals by defensemen. I think he had 18 or something uh, last year, which is ridiculous. So that will be something he'll continue to do probably for the rest of his career. Just that's this the type of defenseman he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then underrated, I think the most underrated piece of this trade was Michael Furlan, uh, mm-hmm. because he is kind of like a Tom Wilson type guy where everybody thought he was just a, a dirty kind of grinding <laughs> player, a guy yeah. who was benefiting at times from playing on that top line in Calgary with Monaghan and Goodrow. And he wasn't really that good. He comes over, uh, impresses them. And then they put him on the top line with Ajo and Teravada, and he does really well. He's in the double digits in goals right now. Uh, he was out with injury. Uh, he's day-to-day with, with an injury uh, in, in the game against the Ducks. Uh, but he's been an, an impressive player for them as well because he he's something they really didn't have in that physical presence. They just had a really young, offensively, offensively gifted team, but they didn't really have that guy who made teams kind of sit up on edge and, and watch out. Cause I mean, this guy puts up five, six hits a night and, and they're generally punishing hits when yeah. he, when he's out there. So that adds a whole new dynamic to their team. I think they're missing and it's a really underrated piece of that trade too. Yeah. I wonder if that's kind of the, the new thing that NHL teams are going to look for. Hey, we got some top end talent, but we don't necessarily have that the hitter that can also put in the puck. Like Tom Wilson does it, and now yeah. Furland does it, and you know these two teams that have uh, done you know much better. I mean, Marshawn's on the the top line, although he's not a big dude. I mean, he's he's a guy you gotta have to kind of watch out for uh, as well. So I wonder if that's you know a new trend, or if that's just you know a couple teams get that that lucky guy that just works on in that situation. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see. It's almost in in some sense the new enforcer. How every team you, back back in the day when you had enforcers, the, the assumption was every team needs at least one. You you just need that one guy who's going to stick up for your teammates. And now I think it's transitioning into every team just needs that that Tom Wilson, Michael Furlan type guy who yeah. is going to still be able to contribute offensively, but is a guy who uh, is kind of he kind of plays on the edge. Tom Wilson's case is a little bit more dirty than others, but. Yeah. Uh, I, and it, I think if you look at the Ducks, Nick Ritchie could possibly be that guy for them. And, and I think you don't he necessarily pots more need goals. that. If he pots more goals, then I can see that. But yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's that guy where like, if there's something happening in front of the net, it, you give him just a little shove, he'll, he'll punch it back. <laughs> like he's, he's not yeah, going to mess exactly. around too much with uh, the physical play. Yeah, I, I think you, you don't necessarily need that guy to win, but uh, I, I think it adds a whole new element to, to teams. And if you, especially if you're building a, a young, skilled, fast team, um, you know, look at a team like Edmonton and how much they could benefit from possibly having a guy like Tom Wilson or Michael Fairley. You you could say Lucic. Is, Lucic is, of old. Yeah. Yeah. If they had the the, the old Lucic, that would be uh, a little bit different. But again, Lucic. The difference, I think, between him and uh, Furland and Wilson is he's a lot slower and, and a lot older than those guys, and, and he's just kind of a part of the oh, old no. breed of, yeah. of that type of forward. So it, it's Pro-magnum-looking guy. Yeah, so it, it, it hasn't been too good. But So if moving away from that trade to yeah. talk about uh, a, a trade in Ducks history that could have gone a, a lot differently, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the Freddie Anderson trade, where the Ducks ended up trading him to the Toronto Maple Leafs for a first and a second round pick that landed them Sam Steele and Maxime Comtois. I'm pretty sure everybody's happy with how that trade turned out. But yeah. in an article for The Athletic, Pierre Lebrun was saying that the Calgary Flames were another team that was interested and that were involved, and we knew that. But mm-hmm. to, to what extent, we didn't know until this article came out. And apparently, the offer that was on the table was Freddie Anderson and the Ducks' first-round pick, which is the 24th overall, for the Flames, which was the 6th overall pick that they used to draft Matthew Kachuk. Ultimately, it didn't go through because uh, Tree Living, the, the GM in Calgary, wasn't comfortable giving up the, the 6th overall pick. But imagine a, a Ducks team with Matthew Kachuk or whoever else they could have got at 6. Yeah, McAvoy, I think, was still out there, too, as an option. So... Uh, you know, between Kachuk and McAvoy and what Bob Murray does, I'm pretty sure we still wouldn't have taken Kachuk. We probably would have gone McAvoy because uh, there's nothing more dear to uh, Bob Murray's heart than a good young defenseman. And he will uh, find them. He will hold them and pet them and uh, nurture them until they do what he wants or he trades them to New Jersey. So uh, it, it was uh, an interesting, you know, chance. I mean, that would have been fun to get McAvoy too. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not too disappointed in in what we've got for Anderson. You know, at that point, we had to get rid of a goalie. I'm glad we stuck with Gibson. Some people don't. They miss Freddie for some reason. But uh, you can't really deny how good uh, Gibby's been. And to get two picks uh, out of it uh, that are going to be a, a nice building block for the future for us is is something that we need we need we need offense more than we need defense at this point or goaltending yeah yeah see i could have seen them going at that point to a four just because and and generally i I agree with you that they normally go for defensemen with those high picks but at the time they still had shea theodore they still had uh vodden they still had montour they you know obviously fowler lintholm as they still had everybody josh manson was still there so they had all these guys in place I think at that point, when you got such a high pick, and, and Matthew Kachuk just seems like such a, a Ducks pick. You know, you look at the fact they drafted Max Jones, and that just seems to be their type of guy. If they can go out and get him, that guy who plays on the edge, he he and he did that in London. He did that when he was playing with the U.S. Uh, they when they draft forwards, they generally like to draft those guys. It's why they went out and they, and they got Maxim Comtois uh, when they got that second round pick. So. I, I think that is a direction they could have gone. I mean, imagine him playing with uh, Ryan Getzlaff and, and Ricard Raquel. I mean, that would uh, that would really help the Ducks right now. As much as I love Maxim Comtois and Sam Steele, I think anybody would be ridiculous to say right now that they wouldn't rather have Matthew Kachuk, especially the way he's playing right now. And imagine being able to make that transition where having Corey Perry for you know 15 years and then making the transition yeah, into literally his his light his version <laughs> in, uh, in Matthew Kachuk who's going to do the same thing for the next 15 to 20 years in the NHL too yeah exactly I mean that that would be fun to, to watch and uh, have uh, one of the Kachuk uh, brothers or uh, that bloodline playing for the Ducks after so many years of hating on uh, <laughs> the dad uh, for so long so it's a uh, interesting thought so close uh, but you know that's uh, the way NHL goes sometimes. It's just almost, not quite, what if, maybe, something like that. 
Well, that pretty much does it. Uh, unless you got anything else, I think. To... Nope, I've got kids that are now up and walking around, so I need to go. <laughs> All right. Well, we will be back uh, for the first game of December on Sunday against the Washington Capitals. It ends off the five-game road trip for the Ducks, then they'll be back home to face Chicago and Carolina to finish off the first week for uh, December. So we'll be back for that game. Um, we won't probably be doing it on the Sunday because all of us are busy. So it might be a either Sunday night or Monday morning podcast. So we'll keep you updated for that. Um, yeah. And stay tuned for the first uh, Forever Mighty Three Stars in December. That will be out before that game. I'll be calculating yes. the winner the for winner. November today. Yeah. And so I'll notify that person today when I when I get to that. I'll probably have time to do it later because we're recording. It's, it's probably me. You know, I don't even count. Yeah. Just get, don't just even send work. me the, the the message, and I'll just I'll just tell you what I want. Uh, <laughs> it, it will probably be uh, after our bonus show because we're recording pucks and brews today. Uh, oh, if you don't know about the bonus shows, check out our Patreon. We've got four different bonus shows. Uh, this one's probably the funnest one to do. Uh, we we. You get to We've only done it once, but man, was it fun! <laughs> yeah. You get to join us live. You can you can have some beers with us, uh, join chat, and we kind of go over different topics. But we get a little bit more candid as uh, the uh, the alcohol flows. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. make sure you check out our Patreon if you haven't yet. Uh, subscribe to us on YouTube. Head over on iTunes, and uh, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All right, guys, see you Sunday. Have a good day. Have a good one.